Let us continue in prayer as we pray for illumination before our scripture reading. Gracious God, help us to listen for your word. By your spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to faithfully serve Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Today's scripture is Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. The, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of mighty angels, many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. I'm really glad that, that God ordained it that our director of worship would read that stirring text from Revelation chapter 5. Well, as we come to the conclusion of our spring sermon series, which has focused on the triumph of life, in the rising of Jesus Christ. 
we find ourselves swept up in worship. Worship of Jesus as Savior and Lord as all heaven and earth sings, Worthy is the Lamb. Some of you are aware by now that we have taken some of our inspiration for this series from the third and final part of Handel's masterpiece, The Messiah. There are two transcendent moments of worship in Handel's Messiah. And the first one is well known to most. And that is the great hallelujah chorus that celebrates Jesus' victory over death in his rising. Yet the Messiah doesn't end with the hallelujah chorus. Although in the Easter testimony of the Gospels, the victory has been won and its results are now certain, the full triumph of life has not yet happened or rather has not yet been fully realized. To find a fitting conclusion for the full story of the Messiah, Charles Jennings, who is the man who put the lyrics or arranged the lyrics from the King James Version of the Bible into the words of the Messiah, takes this ending from the book of Revelation, this scene that you just heard Brian read from Revelation chapter 5. And focuses in on the significant scene of worship when the triumph of life, the full and final triumph of life over death is accomplished. A few notes about the book of Revelation. It's really hard to, to, to preach or even listen to sermons about the book of Revelation when it's kind of like a one-time shot. It's easier when you do more of a series, although by easier, I think that's just a matter of saying. Uh, it's always hard to study the book of Revelation. It's not an easy interpretation. Um, but especially when you, when you just fear, okay, we're, we're in Revelation today, and then next week, maybe not. So, a few notes about Revelation. The book of Revelation receives its name from the opening words of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's helpful to remember that this is exactly what's going on in this very scene from Revelation 5. It's revealing something about Jesus Christ. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. And that sounds familiar because it is related to the English words apocalypse or apocalyptic. For some of us, we are maybe aware that there's a religious significance to this, but some of us just remember back to a, a, a great movie of the past, uh, Apocalypse Now. You heard of that? Okay, some of you might be very fond. Who know? Raise your hand if you saw that movie sometime in the past. Uh, do you remember Robert Duvall's character? Okay, I'm just saying, I'm not going to uh, quote anything that he says, because uh, it's not like sermon material. Although Robert Duvall has a lot of sermon material roles, this one is not one of them. Uh, but that's not the last time we're going to mention Robert Duvall in this sermon. So just stay tuned. For many of us, the word apocalypse is a strange and unsettling word, but the literal translation is an unveiling. Unveiling is what apocalypse means. Very similar to the word revelation, a revealing 
Here in Revelation 5, God's plan for the final triumph of life starts to be carried out, revealed. And the agent of this victory is unveiled in a dramatic scene of heavenly worship. We are talking about a mass gathering where music takes center stage. So it may help us to consider our experiences of this kind of scene in the musical concerts we've been to. And so for today's discussion question, I invite you to share with one another what is the most memorable concert you've ever attended? Think about concerts that you have attended. And think about big concerts, kind of the bigger the better, the more stirring, the more like memorable, you, it takes you right back there. It doesn't matter what kind of music you're talking about, but a musical concert of some kind, turn to, you know, three or four other people around you in a group, let's make sure everyone's included, and share your response to that question, a memorable concert you've attended. Go for it. I just, I also just sent it to video uh, forwarding. All right, thank you everyone for your sharing. Memorable concerts. Okay, uh, raise your hand if your concert that you shared had to do with classical music of any kind. We have some diehards there. How about uh, sacred music, like in a, in a church context? Okay, we've got some of that. How, how many of you would you classify this concert being of the rock and roll variety for you? All right. Hey, remember that scene as you looked around, okay? This, this is a pretty cool congregation, you know? You guys, you guys really appreciate your connoisseurs of the rock and roll. And, uh, and that's important because I think, um, you know, as we... As we our imaginations are meant to really be fired up as we consider this scene from Revelation. And, and our experience of, re, of really being swept up in the, the music that is happening, uh, and, and there's some volume to it. There's, there's, a, there's some... Uh, it's bigger than us. It's greater than us. Uh, that happens at a large-scale concert of whatever variety of music it is, it might help us to, to at least in a sense, get our foot in the door or, or just start leaning toward where God wants to take us uh, in this chapter of Revelation 5. Right at the beginning of this scene, though, there's some dramatic tension. Because one person is needed And there's some question whether or not that person exists. No one except one. 
Verse 4, I wept and wept. This is John writing. This is him as an observer. I wept and kept on weeping because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we're in the heavenly throne room, and God is on the throne with a plan. It's what really is in the scroll. It's the plan to carry out, to bring about the final triumph of life. It's on a sealed scroll held in his right hand. And we find out from an announcing angel that someone who is worthy to break those scrolls, break the seal of the scroll, is needed for this to be a administered for this to be uh, happen and this introduces dramatic tension so great that it causes John the observer to weep it's a buildup of certain tragedy no one is found who is worthy to open the scroll and look inside and what's happening right now is there is for a moment and this is what causes John's weeping it's not weeping in terms of grief it's weeping in terms of really kind of sheer terror that this might be the end of it all. But then hope breaks through like a single point of light in pure darkness. Someone is able to open the scroll. God's plan can move forward. Life will triumph over death after all. No one can save us except one the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, terms from the Old Testament for the Messiah, Jesus. The theology and the beliefs of the Christian church are derived from Scripture and interfaced with the collective experience of God's people through the centuries. And these beliefs affirm that this universal no one that we see here, that no one is as sufficient of a Savior as Jesus. Time and time again throughout its history, God's people are tempted to think that this or that political or military power or this or that human philosophy is what it's all about. But as compelling as these might be, ultimately there's only one hope of salvation in the Christian story, and that is through the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. We see this in the the brief statement of faith of the Presbyterian Church that affirms that we trust in one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. In a scene of hopeless darkness, a light appears. The stark absence of hope is what dominates the scene at this moment. And then one source emerges as the singular hope for the survival of all. This is the basic drama of the gospel, the good news. But we are familiar with this narrative in the many apocalyptic stories and movies that we are familiar with. The genre of apocalyptic stories has to do with stories, epic stories, where the end for everyone looms large and only one hope emerges. 
I'm going to invite you to go back in time to the summer of 1998. The box office was dominated by two movies that came out that were about the same thing, running in movie theaters at the very same time. Perhaps it had to do with the apocalyptic nature of the approaching Y2K. Do you remember that? The fate of the world in both of these movies was in the balance. And there emerged only one hope for the salvation or the saving of the earth. One of these saviors who put together quite a career of being the savior, and that is Bruce Willis. And the movie was Armageddon, the word taken directly from the book of Revelation. So this is an apocalyptic movie. Now, the other uh, movie that ran at the exact same time was a movie called Deep Impact, and that one was starring Robert Duvall. Morgan Freeman as well. Yes, yes, I'm glad you're mentioning Morgan Freeman. There are a number, the, the cast were just full, uh, deep impact. So, but in Armageddon, it was an asteroid that was hurtling toward Earth, and we needed to destroy the asteroid or else Earth was going to be no more. And all the hopes of the whole world and, and the Earth's survival were on this one shuttle led by Bruce Willis. Now, deep impact with Robert Duvall, it was a comet that needed to be dealt with. Big change, but same thing. Same, he's the shuttle commander, they're going up, uh, and uh, uh, some really cool things about it. Armageddon was co-written by J.J. Abrams. It was one of his, J.J. Abrams' first kind of entry points into the scene, and, and of course that name has dominated storytelling through movies uh, in the last two decades. Um, but the teams flew a shuttle into space to divert the asteroid or the comet impact and I think it's safe enough to say that I can, without even saying spoiler alert, you should have already seen these films. <laughs> they saved the day. <laughs> the earth is saved. It's not the end for everyone, even though there was quite a bit of dramatic tension that filled up the entire movie. Now, a young actor who played a part in the Deep Impact story, just a few years later, took a flight to New Zealand and spent five or six years as being filmed as the character who really is the singular savior of all epic stories, and that would be Frodo the Hobbit in The Lord of the Rings. Because yes, Elijah Wood was one of the heroes in Deep Impact, and then he became Frodo, and we all know of that singular, right? singular savior of, not this earth, but Middle Earth. What's unique in this revelation of this singular savior is who this savior is. The slain one stands. The slain one stands. Here we meet the Lamb. In verse 6, 
John recites that he, he then saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And then the four living creatures and the 24 elders began to sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. A sacrifice has been made that is significant for this salvation. Even in the triumph of life, it continues to matter that the saving comes through sacrifice. We're reminded in these movies, these apocalyptic movies, that oftentimes it takes the sacrifice of someone's life on behalf of the many to save. And that's true about those two movies, that there were characters, well-loved characters, who in that movie, they die. We think of the Lord of the Rings series based on the books, and, and we say hello, and we, and we get introduced to these characters who become very, we, we become very associated with and connected to, and some of those characters give their lives for the saving of others. And what we find at the throne in this worship scene is that the lion, the lion of Judah, is revealed to be the lamb. A paradox. The one who has the power to do what is needed to bring about the triumph of life over death, the triumph of good over evil, turns out to also be a symbol of weakness, a symbol of the emptying of life, the sacrifice of life so that others might live. Helpless, a lamb. How strange this is as an exalted image of power. It's rooted with our theology and in Scripture. It harkens back to early in the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lamb of God in Latin is agnus dei. And this setting of the Lamb of God, or agnus dei, is a staple in the Mass. The basic order of service that, that served the church for more than a millennia and still serves many fellowships of Christians today. And so there are thousands of examples of a hymn of praise being sung in Christian worship to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Latin, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In our Christian worship, we recall and we remember that it is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who sacrificed his life, that is the risen and exalted Savior of the world. That the saving came through, uniquely through his death that defeated death. 
And finally, we get swept up in this scene into something that is awesome, but is limitless and ever-expanding, like the universe itself. Jesus' role as singular Savior through his sacrifice is at the heart of our worship. But when it is revealed that it is through Jesus that life triumphs for the good, everyone is now swept up into never-ending praise. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 by 10,000. Do you know how much that is? 100 million. That was pretty fast. It is. 100 million angels. And of course, it's meant to be figurative of something well beyond that number. Countless. The praise is expansive. The Lamb is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, honor, glory, and praise. And it's not just the angels who are singing, the hundred million plus. It is creatures, those whom God has created, people like you and me and creatures beyond us in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. Every conceivable creation of God joins in the chorus. This is quite a concert. This one will trump whatever concert we think of as the greatest concert ever. Because it won't just be a concert where we're viewing what's going on and listening to what's going on. We'll be swept up and we'll join this chorus of praise. And it will go on forever. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. By the way, this is where we get the forever and ever from here. This is where it comes into the English language. This whole idea of of eternity and never ending, this comes from the Christian cosmos, the Christian story. This is our future as revealed in Scripture. New Testament scholar Gail O'Day writes this, that revelation is like a large, bold painting that evokes all of the senses, hearing, sight, taste, smell, touch. The total effect, not the deciphering of each individual detail, gives the vision its full meaning. This scene is powerful because of its collective impact. The life-affirming words of praise, all concentrated in one direction. It's meant to draw us into the worship that resounds throughout the universe. So it's like, if I can compare it to a burst of fireworks. The burst of fireworks is about kind of stepping back and taking into our view the whole picture. Not kind of investigating every single flash of light that we see. Because we'd miss the big picture if we did. But it's about taking in the full, grand, glorious, colorful explosion. Or it's also like there are some times where we get so obsessed with the minutia of maybe one point of light in the sky. But have you been there on that starlit night like out in the desert? where you can barely even recognize one point of light because you're just mesmerized by the vastness and the 10,000 by 10,000 points of light 
that you see as you widen your gaze and take in the full effect of all of its aspects. And that's what's happening here in Revelation. Revelation has been featuring an unveiling of human empires, particularly the Roman Empire, but not limited to that. All empire that is opposed to God, that is exposed to show its destructive power. And this unveiling reveals an even greater power that is the source of all goodness. And this power is the power of the almighty and eternal God. The sovereignty of God and the ultimate triumph of life over death, good and evil, is the heart of Revelation's message. We see this reflected in Handel's Messiah in the final grand song. I mentioned earlier that there was a, there was a song that, that was a moment of transcendent worship, the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, well, the final moment of transcendent worship in the Messiah is the song, Worthy is the Lamb. Voices are drawn together. The strings tune up and the trumpet plays forth in a relentless flow of these words. Power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and praise. It reminds me of the crescendo of the Presbyterian Church's brief statement of faith that says this, in gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, come, Lord Jesus, with believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.